0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Good day. Welcome to Arguing History, a podcast channel of New Books Network. My name is Dr. Charles Cotillo of the Royal Historical Society. I'm a host on the channel. And today we are pleased and indeed honored to have with us Master Historian Professor Jeremy Black. Professor Black is Professor Emeritus of History at Exeter University. He is without a doubt the most prolific historian writing in the Anglophone world today as well as being a well-known specialist in modern military history. And today we are discussing the war between Israel and Hamas. Welcome Professor Black. Hello. Professor, how does this conflict fit in with your ideas of uh, military history?
0: Well, one of the things I've argued in my books is that there is no one form of military uh, conflict and therefore no one form of military development. And I think one can see this very clearly at the present moment. We have a war between Israel and Hamas. We have a war in Ukraine. <clears throat> we have the possibility of a conflict uh, between China and Taiwan and we have a number of conflicts in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And there are differences between them. So to argue that there is one form of military capability, one form of military proficiency, one tactical, operational, and strategic set of paradigms in which one can then mark people is mistaken. And that's what I would say from the perspective of a general military historian.
1: Were you surprised by the outbreak of war between Israel and Hamas?
0: No, I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, Hamas is a uh, terroristic organization which has no rationale or means other than the use of violence, and it obviously has control through violence of the Gaza Strip. Um, and its rationale for existing is defiance of Israel. Its rationale for receiving money and arms from Iran is defiance of Israel. And also it has a, that one one might call a febrile, situation in that it has young militants within its ranks. The old militants that run it in order to maintain their position have to be seen to be active and doing things. And I'm not at all surprised as to to what has happened. You can debate whether there is a surprise over the timing, but there should be no surprise that organizations like Hamas, or for that matter, Hezbollah, or Islamic Jihad, um, seek violence and seek to pursue extreme violence.
1: Do the tactics which Hamas has been employing surprise you at all?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think from their perspective, um, attack is the best means. I mean, what they have done is they have achieved a... um, a form of very, you know, acute use of terror um, in order to grab uh, attention. And now, of course, they've put the Israelis in the difficult position that for Israel to invade the Gaza Strip, it's fairly intractable terrain. It will cause losses in Israel, and of course, uh, Hamas is quite uh, is quite prepared to lose heavily itself. Mm-hmm.
1: To what do you attribute the failure of Israeli military intelligence to predict the uh, outbreak of war?
0: I simply don't know. I mean, what my uh, assumption is, is that they have um, too few people on the ground in Gaza. Not surprising. It's a a policed society, heavily policed society. So I think they're lacking human intelligence uh, agents in there. And signals intelligence can only pick up so so much. So I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't know precisely what's happened, but I'm not, I'm not surprised that it is difficult to anticipate. And of course, you know, you can point to other instances in which intelligence doesn't always work. And even if intelligence does work, as in the case of showing the Russian preparations against uh, Ukraine, uh, in uh, January, February 2022, it doesn't necessarily show what the action will be. Um, I mean, it was well known that Israel was under threat from the development of the missile Uh, armaments, uh, an armory of both Hamas and Hezbollah but when they would be used and in what scale, was unclear. I mean you might argue the same thing about North Korea at the present moment which is a similar uh, similarly a a terror state uh, run by an authoritarian a brutal authoritarian it has these missiles are we to be surprised if at some stage it fires them with lethal intent I think not. Do we know when they are going to do that and whether no we don't
1: there have been three previous conflicts between Hamas and Israel in the past 15 years. Would it be true to say that Hamas has learned something from those conflicts the way which Israel has failed to do so, just as it could be argued that Israel failed to learn from its mistakes post-1982 in the, the conflict in southern Lebanon?
0: Well, I think, I mean, what's interesting is that the Israelis had a very good force for manoeuvrist warfare, and you know, particularly a tank-killing uh, army, and that worked very well in '67. It worked, it worked '56 very well. It worked in '67. It worked in the latter stages uh, of the Yom Kippur War. But obviously, resting on the defensive and having to retain total Um, vigilance, whilst the other side has the opportunity of choosing when to attack, um, as indeed happened in the Yom Kippur War, uh, and has happened this time, puts one at a practical disadvantage. So again, we shouldn't be too surprised about that. I mean, what would you like Israel to learn? I mean, you know, this is again the problem. I mean, the parameters of what they could learn are very limited. Now, you could say, if you're somebody who's just seen their family slaughtered, you could say the lesson to learn is to bomb, you know, the Gaza Strip to petition to drop atomic bombs on it, which Israel has. But of course, that's not strategically viable in a political sense, even if it might be militarily possible in an operational sense, which it clearly is. And you've got to think about these multiple problems. What you can do reflects in part the strategic parameters within which you're operating. And Israel is operating in very difficult strategic parameters because it has, aside from its domestic ones, it has a, you know, largely critical international uh, backdrop to concern itself with.
1: For Israel, is the current conflict winnable? What exactly does that winnable mean in the current circumstances?
0: Well, I think you can link both of those very clearly together. What does winnable mean? Because it depends in part on different narratives within Israel and different narratives about, among commentators. If by winnable you mean a long-term peace, which both sides accept, and are happy with a sort of maybe a two-state solution, I don't think there's much um, much sign of that. And I think there would be significant rejectionist uh, pressures from Hamas, Hezbollah, and indeed from some of the um, Palestinians on the West Bank. And of course, there are some Israeli settlers on the West Bank who would also not accept it. If by uh, resolve it, you mean the operational rather than strategic level. Yes, it's always possible operationally to win a war. It can be very difficult. You might fail. The question is whether it works through at the strategic level. And I've tried to argue that, as you know, in my book, Military Strategy of Global History, that what most military commentators, and you can see this at the present moment, focus on the operational level, which, of course, is important. Any war you want to win operationally, but that doesn't mean that you succeed in the Conflict necessarily strategically and you know there is this question is for Israel a prize namely alignment with the Arabs against Iran uh, specifically not necessarily loving each other but an alignment with the Gulf Ad- Arab Saudi Arabia and Egypt uh, and all of which there is of course in Egypt not least uh, significant anti-Semitism and hostility to Israel among the public but is an alignment with their governments the chief prize strategically and in which case what do you have to do to ensure that now you could argue that what you have to do to ensure that is smash the hell out of Hamas to show that you mean business and that you're not weak Alternatively, you'll get all sorts of commentators saying, oh, you mustn't do that because you'll upset the Arabs. Well, I'm not sure, actually, that if you're looking, say, at Saudi Arabia, where they've been pretty vigorous, not necessarily particularly successful, but pretty vigorous in using force bombing against the Houthi in Yemen, I don't think you're going to find them particularly sympathetic towards Hamas.
1: If, through some magical means or other, Uh, If you were to turn into Benjamin Netanyahu, what would you do about the current conflict?
0: Well, if I was in Netanyahu's boat, having mobilized what, according to reports, 360,000 men, which is a force that you cannot readily demobilize without doing something, I would actually act. Now, what the action is to be, I'm not precisely sure at the present moment. You'd have to be prepared in that action to use part of your forces to hold down Um, insurrectionary activity in the West Bank and you'd have to be prepared to use some of your forces to mask Hezbollah. I don't think you have to worry very much about Syria, Saudi Arabia or Egypt for various different reasons in each case intervening. So it's easier possibly to act than it would have been in circumstances in the past. Um, But you have to act. Now the problem is in acting. You have to accept that you're probably going to lose The hostages that have been taken um, prisoner, and they'll probably be, you know, slaughtered in the most brutal of circumstances, uh, which Hamas seems to specialise in. And you'll probably have to accept that you're going to lose men and women in your forces. But not to act at the present moment would be, I think, seen as giving a green light to Hamas and Hezbollah to take the initiative in, in, in other circumstances.
1: So in essence, by not acting, Israel will potentially lose its deterrent value as a military power in the in the Near East.
0: Yes, I think that's a very well put. And um, now uh, how you act, of course, is going to, um, I mean, what you want to do is as little as possible expose your troops in the um heavily urbanized parts of the Gaza strip so you might want to try and separate and segregate some of the settlements there you have a problem that you're fighting across an air a terrain in which there is not only hostile uh, opponents, But there are also large numbers of civilians, and that's a problem because I don't imagine the Egyptians are going to want to open the border com- crossings for them to come through. So that is one of the imponderables. Um, I would also, if I was Israel take the view that this is probably Iranian-backed, and I would be thinking about how you could attack Iranian targets. Now, that might mean uh, seeking to sink any Iranian ship in the eastern Mediterranean, because that's clearly where Hamas is getting supplies from, and you might declare that that is the point of the blockade, that it is specifically designed against Iran. You, know, you can decide how, how you wish to proceed, but you have to be prepared to accept that this isn't going to look good in international terms.
1: And I think it should be emphasized to the audience, because sometimes this doesn't come through, that Hamas itself, as an organization, does not believe in um, the two-state solution.
0: Oh, no. I mean, Hamas is a vicious in its means, dictatorial in its uh, practices... Um, And I think it's fair to say that Hamas has genocidal uh, hatred of Jews and um, and that the slaughter of civilians, uh, women and children, um, and, of course, of prisoners uh, reflects its actual ideology as well as the exigencies of the moment, however despicable they they may be. Um, And I think that um, you know what you're seeing here is the bringing into action of the um the as it were uh, and sort of millenarian islamic um philosophy is the wrong word because that suggests a coherent, I'd say ad hoc group of beliefs uh, which um, sort of believes and uh, um, argues that through violence you can actually purge the world of the, the infidel including bad Muslims I mean, you've got to bear in mind that these sort of organisations once they've slaughtered all the Jews will then turn on those Muslims who they regard as insufficiently whatever and uh, you're Trouble. The interesting thing is the way in which you have, and you can see it both in your country, the United States, and my country, Britain, you have all sorts of apologists for. Um, the Palestinian cause. You've had them for years and many of them are going going on pumping out their propaganda throughout this crisis. I mean, it is a bizarre state of affairs in my country that many people who got very worked up about what happened to George Floyd, reprehensible as that was, seem to be completely silent uh, when they're seeing what is going on at the moment Um, in the, you know, the the brutality inflicted on Israelis, or for that matter, the bombing by Russia of Ukrainian civilians.
1: Point well taken and pointly accurate. What lessons does the conflict so far provide the West?
0: Well, I think it's one's vulnerability to... Attack. I mean, I'm afraid to say with terrorism, what you have to say to people is, um, and I argued this at the time of the uh, IRA atrocities, um, at which you remember were funded in part by Americans, uh, the Americans took a very different view after 9/11. But until then, you know, the the chance of a, if you were a British civilian of being murdered in a terrorist atrocity was high, with American fingerprints of, over it, as it were. So we we'll take that one. Um, but I've always argued that the way that you should deal with terrorism is to kill the terrorists um, as quickly and as and as fast. Uh, uh, as effectively as possible, but also to say to your own citizens, we cannot stop terrorism. People will get killed. Because ultimately, what the terrorists need is to terrify people. If you've got a sort of stoical sense of, my God, we've just got to keep going under this pressure, you've actually, in a sense, you've not beaten the terrorists, but you've actually lessened the potential impact of them. And I fear that that is something that both in Britain and the United States we're less prepared for, I think the the Israelis are obviously absolutely shocked by the brutality of Hamas, but they are not surprised at the idea that there should be a surprise attack upon them.
1: On that observation, which I would like to agree with entirely, I would like to thank you very much, Professor Black, for being so kind as to speak with us today. This is Charles Cotillo. You've been listening to Arguing History, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. Thank you, Professor Black, very much.
0: Well, thank you. Listeners may be interested in the second edition of my Insurgency and Counterinsurgency, a book just published in the United States by Roman and Littlefield. But I also think as... You know, commentators, I think we owe a responsibility to take not just a pragmatic response to this crisis, but also a moral one. What Hamas has done is totally wrong, and any attempt at relativism in order to, as it were, lessen it is inappropriate.
1: Yes, and I hope that anyone who's listening to this podcast does not confuse the fact that uh, notwithstanding any criticisms from a tactical or operational perspective that you and I might have of the IDF, we are in no way uh, lacking in support for Israel in this time of crisis.
0: Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Professor
0: Black. Thank you.